Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Happy Easter, everybody. I think this is the first time in our church's 66 years of history that we haven't been together on an Easter Sunday. We miss you all so much, and our staff just wanted to send a warm welcome and Easter greetings to you. Uh, If you can, would you turn to John chapter 14 in your Bibles? We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. As part of our worship experience today, we've asked one of our very own, artist Simon Bull, to paint something special for our Easter services. And while he paints, you'll hear a song called Endless Alleluia, quietly guiding Simon as he worships the Lord and paints a beautiful picture. Listen to the opening words of the song. It goes like this. In the morning when I rise to meet you, in the morning when I lift my eyes, you're the only one I want to cling to. You're the first thought on my mind. As Simon ponders the realities of our risen Lord, in one sitting he paints a unique work of art representing the resurrection hope we have in Christ. Take a look. Oh, yeah. 
Wasn't that beautiful? As we talk about Jesus as the way and the truth and the life today, my prayer is that you'll also see light rising within you, light rising from the darkness as we experience the hope rising in you because of Christ. He is present with you right now. I hope you believe it. As we hear from God's word, God is with us. Now to give some background to our message today, in Judaism, the way of truth would be understood as a life lived in conformity with God's law. And so in Psalm 86 verse 11, it says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. And in Psalm 16 verse 11, it says, You have made known to me the path of life. Thus rabbis would have equated following the Torah with looking at it as the way and the truth and the life. And so Jesus made it clear that he wasn't looking for mere admirers who only respected his teaching and spoke highly of his way of life. Jesus, in fact, confronts us with the choice. The choice is either love him or hate him, either worship him as Lord or reject him as a lunatic. But don't misunderstand him by merely admiring him because Jesus wants more. An ancient Jewish saying from Rabbi Yoezer went like this, Let thy house be a meeting house for the wise, and powder thyself in the dust of their feet, and drink their words with thirstiness. Now, if you were a student of a rabbi a couple thousand years ago, you would not just go to a classroom and study Torah. You would literally follow the rabbi around all day. Where he walked, you walked. When he ate, you ate. When he sat, you sat. You followed your teacher so closely that a common blessing was said, may you always be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So Jesus invites his disciples to be covered in his dust, to follow him so closely as the one and only true rabbi. Now, the religious experts taught if you wanted to be close to God, you needed to go to temple and make sacrifices and carry the burden of fulfilling hundreds of laws. How confusing it must have been for those listening to Jesus to hear him say that if they wanted to be close to God, what they really needed to do was to follow him. That's it. It must have blown their minds to hear Jesus say that. Because you see, in the Old Testament, people expressed their faith in God by keeping the law. And now that Jesus has come, he says he is the way. And in fact, Jesus is kind of saying, I am the Torah. If you want to be right with God and have a blessed life, then you must meditate on me, memorize me, obey me, follow my light, be covered in my dust as you follow me, is what Jesus is saying. He's telling you that he's the only way. And that is something that is the most compassionate thing Jesus can do. Why? Because it's true. And after he said this, he proved that he is the only way by dying on a cross. Because the fact is that Jesus, he lived the life we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. Jesus is the only major religious or philosophical leader that willingly died after claiming to be God. He's the only one who's truly made a way back to the Father. Jesus says he is the way. The Lost Generation poem was penned by a young person in a dark time some years ago, but very similar to the times today. And it reads like this. I am part of a lost generation, and I refuse to believe that I can change the world. 
or realize this may be a shock. But happiness comes from within is a lie. And money will make me happy. So in 30 years, I will tell my children they are not the most important thing in my life. My employer will know that I have my priorities straight because work is more important than my family. I tell you this, once upon a time, families stayed together, but this will not be true in my era. This is a quick fix society, experts tell me. 30 years from now, I'll be celebrating the 10th anniversary of my divorce. I do not concede that I will live in a country of my own making. In the future, environmental destruction will be the norm. No longer can it be said that my peers and I care about this earth. It will be evident that my generation is apathetic and lethargic. It is foolish to presume that there is hope. The young author Jonathan Reed ends the poem by saying, all of this will come true unless we choose to reverse it. You know, right now, tens of millions are predicted to be unemployed in the months to come. Many in our region are facing food shortages and health problems on top of the challenges of self-isolation. More than ever, we need someone to lead us out of the darkness. We need to find a way out of our bondage to sin, a way out of this anxiety amidst this very real crisis. And Jesus presents himself as the way. He's inviting us to be covered in his dust and to follow him. Next, Jesus says, he's the truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. I want to tell you a story. In 1859, a man living in San Francisco named Joshua Norton proclaimed himself emperor of the United States. Amused, a newspaper printed his self-proclamation, and Emperor Norton became a celebrity of sorts. His uniform consisted of an old donated army coat and boots, a plumed hat, and a donated sword. The emperor proudly walked the streets of San Francisco, and while on these excursions, he set out to rid the world of its ills. He simply ruled by decree. If people complained that taxes were too high, he ordered them lowered. The emperor became quite popular, in fact, and when he died, it is said that he had 30,000 people lining the streets for his funeral. People adored this man, even though they never knew he was just eccentric or certified crazy. And right now we have Russia's and China's leaders making themselves into emperors, right? Well, how about Jesus? He claimed to be the emperor of the world, in a sense. Was he crazy or was he just eccentric or was he speaking truth when he said he was the truth? An interviewer inquiring about the exclusivity of the rock star Bono's Christian faith asked him this question. He asked Bono, Christ has his rank among the world's greatest thinkers, but son of God, isn't that far-fetched? Bono thought about it for a second and responded, no, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet along the lines of Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you to do that. He doesn't let you off the hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm saying I am God incarnate. 
And people say, no, 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 please just be a prophet, a prophet we can take. And Jesus says, no, no, actually I am the Messiah. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. Bono continues, I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manch Manson. I'm not joking here. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half of the globe would have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that is far-fetched. And then Bono closed with this. Jesus' statements about himself force us all into an all-or-nothing choice. If Jesus was not a lunatic, then our only alternative is to accept his claims and center our lives around him. The one thing we have no right to do is to respond to him mildly. You see, Jesus' message today is the same as it was 2,000 years ago. He does not merely claim to be a way or a truth or a life, but the way, the truth, the life, the only way to salvation, the only way back to the Father. You must lose yourself in his ultimate truth. You know, Oprah Winfrey says this. She says, one of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to what you call God, she says. You see, the atheist road says there is no God. And the agnostic road says there can't be sure if there is a God. The Hindu road says there are millions of gods. So is Oprah right that all roads lead to the same place? Well, let me ask you a question. Isn't the road that leads you to know life after death, isn't that different than the road that says that you reincarnate? Aren't these different roads? Isn't the road that says you stand before a judge named Jesus for judgment, isn't that unique? Shouldn't we believe that the road that says we save ourselves leads to the same place as the road that says only Jesus can save? Really? Aren't these different roads? See, Acts 4.12 says it clearly in the Bible. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by among men by which we must be saved. And so when we speak of salvation, it ultimately must include speaking of Jesus, humbly but confidently, that there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And lastly, let's look at Jesus, who says he is the life. In John 14, 6, again, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is talking not just about physical life, but quality of life. See, there are two Greek words for life in the Bible. One is bios, biological life, and then zoe, quality of life. See, zoe means life is really good. Zoe is life to the full, life full of meaning and exhilaration and joy. And so back when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, earlier in the scriptures, he used the word zoe, not bios. Even though bread is linked to bios, physical life, he used zoe. He links himself to the quality of life that we're all longing for. In fact, if you think about it, hell is the complete absence of life. Hell is the complete absence of zoe. But life as we're talking about, a Zoe kind of life, is the kind of life that makes life worth living. You see, your best moments on planet Earth is just a hint of the Zoe life that Jesus is offering. Let me ask you, what do you lack that you think will bring you life? You see, Zoe life 
is an exuberant life where there are no more foster kids because everyone has a home in Christ. Zoe kind of life is no more cancer and instead perfected bodies dancing and, and feasting with King Jesus on a new heavenly earth. Zoe life is being with friends and family without the fear of infection, right? No more crying, no more tears, no more isolation. And an ending life full of beauty without limitations. That's a Zoe kind of life that Jesus is offering. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 4, the story of Jesus begins like this. In him was life, Zoe life, exhilarating life, life to the full, life without limits with Jesus. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, he is offering not just eternal existence, not just bios, but radical and ultimate Zoe life, starting right now and continuing into eternity. And so put your trust in Christ and you'll never truly taste death. Even if you die physically, Jesus says you'll live forever in him. That's Zoe life. Jesus says, do not labor for food that only has bios, but food that has zoe. Doesn't God just shake his head at the things that we think are really living, that are really life, when they're not? Perhaps right now in this season, he's getting our attention to focus us on what really is life that he's offering for example, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 18, that alcohol is a false Zoe, a false kind of life, that we're trying to get out of a bottle, only that which Jesus can give out of the Bible. And if we turn to anything but Jesus to get courage and joy, then we have a false Zoe. You get it? Paul is right because false Zoes exhaust you, whether that false Zoe is a money or is your independence or some kind of security these will all let you down. They're all false Zoes. Let me ask you, what is your bread? What do you feast on every day? What is your Zoe? What would you say, now that's living. My life will be good if I can just get that. Or maybe you ask yourself that my life wouldn't be worth living if I can't have that. Whatever that is, that is what you think is Zoe, true life exhilarating life. What the Apostle Paul says is that you'll be exhausted unless you choose Jesus and his way of life and choose him himself as life. I don't know if you knew this, but alcohol is a depressant, not a stimulant. So how does alcohol give people a sense of joy, a sense of boldness, a sense of vulnerability? Well, it doles your ability to see reality. Every false Zoe does that by helping you escape reality. But the Spirit of God is a stimulant in a sense. God heightens your ability to see reality. The gospel isn't an escape from reality. No, the gospel helps you embrace reality. You'll never experience the kind of Zoe that Jesus offers without living the kind of life that Jesus lived. See, Jesus wants you to embrace him as the way, the truth, and the life. And what he says here is consistent with the entire New Testament. That God has provided a road, a path, a way of redemption, which was his plan from all of eternity. And that the divine logos, the word of God, took on himself a human nature to make that way for you and for me. See, Jesus is trying to reconnect you back to the Father. This Father who created every beautiful inch of you. 
He wants you to be with him for eternity in a renewed heavens and renewed earth. But you start that relationship right now. You can have assurance right now that Jesus will not abandon you in these dark times. You can have that assurance as you put your trust in him. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. He promises to shine his light on your life if you say yes to him. Perhaps this is the day that you can say yes. You know, someone in our church sent me this true story. And she wrote this. She said, once our church started helping the Kinship Center, donating car seats and diapers for those foster kids that were helping, I asked a friend whom I knew fostered children to tell me a story about fostering kids. And so she told me about a very premature baby who was dropped off at their home one night. All they knew was that the mother had planned to abort the baby, but the baby arrived a week before the scheduled abortion. And he was so tiny that they put him in a bread basket. And eventually, the biological grandmother came to visit. And then eventually, the biological mother came as well. An amazing thing happened, she shared. The mother who was going to abort the baby now felt able to reconsider everything and took the baby son home as hers. His mother, the woman who originally sought the abortion, recently saw this friend, the foster mom, saw her at a restaurant and told her how grateful she was that their family and the kinship center stepped in to help her in her time of need and gave her the ability to be his mother. And that adult son is thriving today. And this mom is so grateful that she now gets to have her own son to be in her forever family. And I mention this because of this. When you follow Jesus, every little act of kindness, every little act of goodness that you do in his name has eternal ramifications because of his resurrection life. That Jesus pours his resurrection way and truth and life into you and everything you touch when you do it in his name can set off a chain of incredible events for good. John 14, 3, Jesus says this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, Jesus is a life whom is inviting you into his forever kind of family. That's the life he's offering. Not temporary life, even not just future life, but right now into his forever family, if you would say yes. Because of Jesus, every life is precious. That means your life. If you're listening or watching right now, Jesus is trying to tell you your life is precious. He wants you in his forever family. You see, all of our life right now, walking with Jesus, it's just a warm-up act for Jesus' return. He's watching his church right now because his followers should be covered in the dust of their Lord Jesus. They should be showing his love and feeding the hungry and healing the sick and caring for the needy and befriending the lonely, and infusing hope into the very real circumstances that weigh people down today. See, Jesus is coming back to take home those who follow him, those who are covered in his dust, those who believe that he is the way and the truth and the life. You know that Lost Generation poem I read earlier? And ended with saying that it's foolish to presume that there is hope. But then the author tells us now to read the poem in reverse. And if you do that, it goes like this. There is hope. 
It's foolish to presume that my generation is apathetic and lethargic. It will be evident that my peers and I care about this earth. No longer can it be said that environmental destruction will be the norm. In the future, I will live in a country of my own making. I do not concede that 30 years from now I'll be celebrating the 10th anniversary of my divorce. Experts tell me this is a quick fix society, but this will not be true of my era. Families stayed together once upon a time. I'll tell you this, family is more important than work. I have my priorities straight because my employer will know that they are not the most important thing in my life. So in 30 years, I will tell my children, money will make me happy is a lie. And true happiness comes from within. I realize this may be a shock, but I can change the world. And I refuse to believe that I am part of a lost generation. You see, in Christ, we don't have to be lost because He is the way. You can change the world because you know He is the truth. There is real and lasting hope because with Jesus, you can have the Zoe life that fills you overflowing and pours out to a world in great need. If you don't put your trust in Christ, this earth is the only heaven you'll ever know. But if you do trust in Christ, this earth is the only hell you'll ever know. Put your faith in the way, the truth, the life, because the best is yet to come. There's a story that goes about a young woman. She had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and had been given only three months to live. So as she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor, hadn't come to her house to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which song she wanted sung at the service, which scripture she would like to be read, which outfit she wanted to be buried in. Everything was in order, and the pastor was preparing it all. And as he was about to leave, the young woman suddenly remembered something very important to her. She said, oh, there's one more thing, there's one more thing. And he said, well, what's that? This is very important, she said. I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. And the pastor stood looking at the young woman, not knowing quite what to say. That surprises you, doesn't it? The young woman said. Well, to be honest, I'm, I'm puzzled by the request, said the pastor. And she explained, well, my grandmother once told me this story. And from that time on, I've always tried to pass on its message to those I love and those who are in need of some encouragement. In all my years of attending socials and dinners, I always remember when the dishes come out that the main course was being cleared, that someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie, something wonderful and with substance was coming. So I just want people to know and see me when I'm lying in the casket with a fork in my hand. I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? And then I want you to tell them, Pastor, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. And when she passed, the pastor kept his word. And as she had a fork in her hand laying in the casket, and everyone's asking, what's with the fork? The pastor told the whole story and told the whole audience grieving this young woman, the best is yet to come. Friends, in Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, the best is yet to come.
Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want to know you in the fullness of who you are. Not just merely admire you or respect you, but to follow you, to bow down. You are Lord of all. You deserve all of our worship, all of our attention. May you cover us with your dust because we follow you so closely. Oh God, help us to see that the best is truly yet to come. Even in the midst of dark times, Lord, help us not to be paralyzed with hopelessness. Help us to see your light shining and rising out of the darkness. To see your Son, King Jesus, all that he's done for us by dying on a cross and rising again. And he's watching over us now. He's with us right now, giving us hope pouring out light in these dark times. Lord, thank you this Easter morning. We know there is hope in you. There is light in the darkness. Help us to believe. Help us to say yes to you. And it's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.